Welcome to episode 17 of VMA's podcast, where we'll be discussing Psalms 90 through 106, which is the fourth book of Psalms. My name is Anton Brooks, and I'm here with David Schrock, the pastor of preaching and theology here at Aquaquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. So we have discussed three books of the Psalms so far. Can you review what we have seen and what book four contributes? Yes, so far we've seen the historic um, suffering and rise of David, and then the fall of David with his sin with Bathsheba, and then the rise of his son Solomon. So books one and two recount the life of David from suffering to glory. Um, Book three saw the downfall of David's uh, throne. Uh, So even with some of the actions that were taken by foreign nations uh, against the temple as well, so that by the end in Psalm 88 and Psalm 89, two of the darkest psalms uh, in the entire Psalter, and we see how that covenant with David has come to an end. So now we enter into book four, and we're wondering what in the world is uh, going to go on. Right, we we know that this covenant has come to an end, and in the history of Israel, uh, we know that when that happened, it was because they were not keeping the Sabbath, they were not keeping the law at that time. So God uh, commissioned or sent them out of the land for seventy years, right, in a time called the exile, uh, and then they would come back into the land uh, at that point in time. And so now what we find in book four is the way that God is going to have a new exodus. He's going to bring his people back to himself, from exile to himself. Uh, And then book five will appoint more particularly, who is this leader? Who is this Messiah that's going to accomplish that? Um, So that's kind of the the broad strokes and, and where we are in book four. Psalm 90 is described as the Psalm of Moses. What significance does this have? Yeah, so again, if we remember who Moses is, um, he was the man appointed by God to lead the nation out of bondage and to new covenant with with the Lord. Uh, And so in this way, uh, we begin to see how Moses is going to train the people to think again of of salvation and of the Exodus. Um, So because Psalm 90, Psalm of Moses, this would have been the oldest Psalm, perhaps, um, because Moses came long before David did. But it's here at Psalm 90 for a particular reason to say, now there's going to be a new Exodus. In fact, Psalm 92 is the only psalm that speaks of the Sabbath. Its superscription uh, at the very top speaks of that reality. Um, And it's just striking to me that this seems to be what God wants to intend or what the authors are trying to arrange and intend here to show that there's going to be a new Exodus. And leading from there, we see the language that God himself uh, is going to come and be the one who saves his people. It's not going to be David any longer, but God himself will be the king who comes and saves his people. So uh, we see this. One other thing that's just really striking to see about this, and I think we may have mentioned it before, is that uh, when Moses himself talks about uh, 70 years, right? So in Psalm 90, verse 9, it says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. We fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So Moses is writing this, and if he's writing it, 
it in his 70th year, uh, approaching 80. He's thinking he's coming to the end of his life. His personal experience is one that he has now been in the desert for 30 years, from the age 40 to age 70, chasing after sheep because of God's anger, kicking him out uh, of Egypt at that time. And so this is his experience. Um, but for those who are hearing Moses' psalm at the time after the exile, that's when the psalms would have been arranged, right. what were they thinking about for 70 years? They had just spent 70 years under God's wrath in Babylon. Right. right? Yeah. So it's amazing how the Song of Moses is now picked up and set in a different key when we come to the exilic period or post-exilic period. And now it's going to be applied to them. And they're asking God to have mercy on them to confirm the work of their hands to come and save them once again. And it sets up what we're going to see in book four. So we find that in the fourth book of Psalms that most of the Psalms do not have superscriptions. This is different from the other books. Why is that? Yeah, again, I think it has to do with the fact that the main emphasis of book four is God himself, right? Instead of David, uh, which he's only mentioned a couple times here, Psalm 100, Psalm 103, I think, um, we just see a focus on God. Uh, again, Moses' psalm is unique there, uh, but the lack of superscriptions indicates that God is the one who's going to come and bring salvation. So one of the themes that repeats in book four is the phrase, the Lord reigns. How does this fit into these psalms? Yeah, so again, with the lack of superscriptions focused on God himself, we see another evidence for that. Psalm 96.10 says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Psalm 97 uh, verse 1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 99 verse 1 comes again. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. So we see that there's just this theme that the God is king. <clears throat> if at the end of Psalm 89, there's a question of who is going to be sitting on the throne in Israel, David has lost the throne, take heart, God has not lost the throne. He still reigns above all the nations. Even when the people of Israel are scattered among the nations and right. other nations are ruling over them, God is ruling over all the nations. Mm -hmm. So a key emphasis here is that though the kingdom of Israel is in question, the kingdom of God is not. Psalm 100 is a famous psalm. Uh, let me read it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Does reading this psalm in context of Psalms 90 through 106 change the meaning of this psalm? Yeah, so I don't think it changes the meaning of the psalm. It doesn't change the words. I mean, it's still the idea of coming into the presence of God, into the temple, offering praise and worship. But I do think reading it in context does, again, magnify the praise. Right? If we remember that, okay, beginning with Moses, there's this way of God coming and redeeming his people, a new exodus taking place. Well, then we see that this is the goal. This is the, uh, the end of that. 
um, that procession. So like back in Psalm 93, I, I forgot to mention this verse earlier. Psalm 93 verse 1 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. So if Moses is leading the people and God through Moses is doing that at the time of the Exodus, they're going to go through the flood waters of the Red Sea. God is going to lead his people to a new covenant and to a place where he's going to establish his kingdom in their midst. And then he's going to give them a tabernacle for them to worship him and to gather around him for his praise. Right? So that's the, the pattern of the Exodus that we see. Mm-hmm. But that pattern gets played out in Psalm 90 through 106. Right, that God is going to save his people. He's going to bring them through the floodwaters. He's going to defeat the nations. He's going to save people from the nations now. He's going to bring them to himself, and he's going to invite them into the temple that he's going to build so that his praise can redound to the glory of his name. Mm. Right, And so in this way, it doesn't change the meaning of Psalm 100, but it does magnify the praise that is there. And if we remember the storyline of the Bible, that this is the promise of a new exodus leading to a new covenant, leading to a new kingdom. Right. right? So ultimately what we see here is not just the events of Israel's history, but rather these are the events that are going to take place with Jesus Christ himself. Right. Right. Jesus speaking with Moses in Luke 9.31 says that he leads a new exodus. Right? That his departure, they were talking about his departure, that is not a movement from one geographical landmass to another, but rather from the kingdom of this age and death and darkness to the age of light and life and mm. glory that is going to be found in a new temple that Jesus is building and a new kingdom that he's establishing. Right? So in that way, we see how Psalm 90 through 106 amplifies what we see in Psalm 100. So what do these psalms teach us about worship? So, brother, you're the one who is often talking about worship and certainly leading us in worship at our church. How do they teach you about worship? The Psalms in general, I think that, you know, as I, as I read them, you know, you recognize that, first of all, it all focuses or the, the, the focal point is always God, even mm-hmm. in lament or um, in the things that we are expressing as humans, you know, the psalm writers, it's still the focus is always God. And so often in today's worship or what we call worship music yeah. um, by a lot of our uh, large churches who have bands and p- create albums and, and some who are not necessarily associated with the we church. We won't name any of those right now, but <laughs> yeah. yes, you know what we're talking about. It seems like the, the focus is on emotion. It's on um, self-improvement. Hmm. Uh, it's about feeling better, yeah. but the focus isn't on God, which in my opinion isn't actually worship. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the right word would be. <laughs> <laughs> worship of self. Yeah, worship of self. Like that, yeah. But it's definitely not worship of God. But when I read the Psalms uh, in general, we t- we see God's holiness. Um, we see praise of God. We see His headship, and we see His um, His ability to save. We see His graciousness. We see um, punishment. Mm-hmm. We see forgiveness. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that we see in the Psalms that just all reflect on the character of God, his plans for us, his plans from the beginning, his future plans for us. Like we just talked about in Exodus, which is a big part of um, the book, uh, the book of Psalms part four, Mm -hmm. which when I read just makes me think about uh, my salvation through Jesus Christ and being a part of that Exodus um, or being in the midst of it because I'm still here right now. Amen. (laughs) But yeah, so that, that is my, my take on worship and, 
And the funny thing is, in that whole time, I didn't really mention music. Huh. You know, it's more because music is a is a tool that we use to do worship, but is not the worship itself. Mm. Um, and people would say, "Well, what about David? You know, he he played, and the spirits um, left the king, or or this, or he was soothed by by the playing. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was not the music itself. I believe that you know that God uses, I think the music was just a tool that God was using through David mm-hmm. um, to accomplish his will. And yeah. I think that when we look at worship that way and as a, as building a relationship with God versus just singing songs, then I think that our worship is more effective and more powerful. Oh, that's a good word, brother. Yeah. So in, re- in reference to Psalm 90, uh, Psalms 90 through 106, again, I, I just see how God has made a plan to move his people from one place to another. And I see that plan fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. and like I was saying of being in the midst of the Exodus, I just think that when we, when we write worship songs today, that we really should focus on uh, the attributes of God versus you know, our own, our own attributes. There's so many times, unfortunately, and and I hate to even say this, I've heard worship songs where you can't even tell they're worship songs, mm-hmm. or you can't even tell that they should be associated with church, mm-hmm. except that they're playing on Christian radio. Mm-hmm. But if you were to remove that song from Christian radio and play it somewhere else, you would have no idea. And I think that is so ineffective in reference to to worship. And I, I feel like I'm rambling, but it's just it's just so much <laughs> so much thought and that I have in reference to. Uh, what worship is and how God is moving us from one place to another and how God is holy. And and when we, when we go to worship him, when we seek to worship him, that it's not just Sunday morning, it's our lives. It's everything that we do should be in worship to God. Yeah, that's a good word. I mean, just thinking about the way that some of the songs to put a different label on are, are self-referential, right? Yeah. They're, They're describing the interior experience that I'm having. Right. Instead of the God who is outside of space and time, the Mm. God who from outside of space and time entered into the world in order to bring salvation to his people. Right. Right. And there's an objective reality there. And so certainly that's something that we see in the Psalms that, right, the Exodus really happened. Right, the exile really happened. There mm-hmm. really was a David. There really was a Jesus Christ, and these yeah. are historical realities that uh, are the foundation of our praise and our worship. Um, so that when we ultimately, when we gather together, that's unifying. Right, it's not my personal experience mm-hmm. and an interior experience that I'm having that is different than the person to my left or to my right. But hopefully, there is an external, objective reality that is unifying us together. And as even as we've been talking about with worship at our church, thinking about how do we structure our order of service mm-hmm. so that it moves from the grandeur and the glory of God, His holiness, His character, His attributes, to our sin, our confession, our need for Him, the uh, fulfillment of what Jesus Christ has done, the promise of Christ, the fulfillment of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, all the grace that we have received in him, and then our response of faith. Right? Yeah. It's not inappropriate to speak of you know our belief, our repentance, all the rest, but ultimately it, uh, it terminates on, on who he is and what he's done. Yep. Psalm 103 might be one of the most encouraging psalms in the Bible. What are some truths we find in it to encourage us today? Yeah, so I think the first is just the way that it teaches us to speak to ourselves, Mm. right? It begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, right? We go way wrong 
mm. when we listen to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> right? When we listen to the complaining, the grumbling, mm. the discouragement, the self-confidence even mm. in ourselves, we're going to go way off the track. Um, we need to preach to ourselves the truths of the Word of God. We need to preach to ourselves the gospel, the grace and truth of God. And so here we see David doing that, right? He's telling his soul, bless the Lord, yeah. right? And then he says, and for these reasons, not just, okay, conjure up within you these emotions, but mm-hmm. here's why. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. What are those benefits? Well, he forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, so who powerful. crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Mm. Right? So, even here, it's a great teaching point for how we praise and how we worship. We don't just kind of continue to say songs as some kind of mantra mm-hmm. that's kind of working up some emotion. No, our praise is based upon the realities of the promises of God paid for in full by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, right? And so here we're reminded to remind ourselves of these things, Mm -hmm. right? And then he goes through and just talks about all the things that God has done. Moses has brought up here uh, once again how um, the Lord works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He's reminding them again of how God was gracious to the people of Israel and saving them and bringing them out of Egypt and through the wilderness to uh, to himself, how he's doing that again. And then in Exodus 34, uh, we have these words that are quoted in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not always keep his anger. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Mm. So again, all these promises that are there, but think about they are being rooted in the character of God. Right. In in verse 8, that character of God was revealed in Exodus 34 at the moment that Israel broke covenant with God. The golden calf took place, and this is how God responds. Right? So now, as we think about the context of book four, coming out of the exile, God is not going to chide or be angry forever, Mm -hmm. but rather is going to be gracious, not treating us according to the way our sins deserve, but to lead us to a place where he can be compassionate towards us. And the truth is, for anyone who knows the saving experience of Christ, this is exactly how God treats us. Right. He doesn't treat us according to the way our sins deserve, but he is gracious and compassionate, right? This word that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west is a mm. glorious reality. Yeah. Right? Uh, and just how he continues to remember uh, the frame. Uh, he remembers that we are but dust. You can put two T's or one T in that. Our kids laugh at that all the time, right? But he knows that we are weak. Mm-hmm. He knows that we cannot rise to what we need to be able to do. So he comes and descends to us and cares for us. You know, he goes on and says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remembers to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, right? So it reminds us uh, that there is a kingdom that has been established, not just in one little locale, but his kingdom that covers the earth is coming to his people that he's saving for himself. So there's just incredible encouragement in Psalm 103. 
Yeah, it's great encouragement. It actually helps me to remember contentment. Contentment in the sense that God has already done everything that is required for my eternal salvation. And even though I may have struggles here on earth because we live in a sinful world and sin, because of sin, Mm -hmm. there are things that happen that are not to my liking because of my own sin. Um, Things that I have done, um, there are things, there are consequences. But the joy is in the eternity that awaits me with him. And, And when I read these words, it just reminds me of that. Amen. As we wrap up book four, are there clues on how this book relates to the last book, Psalm 107 through 150, which is the fifth book of Psalms? Yeah, so I think just a neat connection that we see at the very end of Psalm 106 is this prayer, this request in Psalm 106, verse 47, where it says, Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Right. So again, this vision of the exile right, that was foretold by Moses that took place when David's son had disobeyed to such an extent that the wrath of God sent Israel out of the land. The people of God are now scattered among the nations. This prayer request comes in, gather us from among the nations. And then book five or book four closes. But where does book five begin? Well, it begins like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And then the rest of Psalm 107 picks up and describes these different ways that God redeems his people and brings them to himself. And so we see that the need of the people that is expressed in book four is going to be answered uh, in book five, as we will see two of the most important Psalms pointing to Jesus in his priestly role, Psalm 110 and Psalm 118. But we'll save that for the next time that we talk about That'll be exciting. Psalms. That'll be exciting because we hear about Psalm 110 so much in the New Testament. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Very true. This concludes today's discussion of the fourth book of Psalms. As you follow along with your reading plan, if you have any questions or comments that you would like to discuss, please send them to viaemmaus at obc.org. You may hear a response in our upcoming episodes. Via Emmaus is a podcast of Occoquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our prayer is that you would read the Bible and read the Bible better. For more resources related to this episode and the gospel-centered ministry of God's Word, visit obc.org.